This podcast is available in video at fpcgulfport.org and fpcgulfport on YouTube. Good morning. You turn with your Bible with me to Luke chapter 15. We have the privilege and opportunity to study this morning one of the most famous parables of our Lord, perhaps the most famous parable. And I believe that's for good reason because it just so beautifully magnifies the grace of God. When you think about God's grace, when you think about forgiveness, perhaps one of the first places that your mind goes to is the prodigal son and the grace that we see there. Well, Luke chapter 15, if it's me in your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 11. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Lord, we thank you that you could be merciful to sinners like us. Lord, that You would willingly come and send Your Son to die for us so that we might have salvation. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for its clarity. Lord, we thank You for the opportunity to study it this morning. Lord, would You give us eyes to see and ears to hear. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, before we jump into 
the larger parable. I want to draw your attention to the occasion where Jesus first spoke these words. If you look up in your Bible to verses 1 through 3, you see this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And he says this parable, but there's three. They all kind of go together. You know, this wonderful thing was happening. Sinners and tax collectors were coming to hear Jesus. You know, how many times do we go out and share the gospel and a lot of people don't respond? When do we see tons of sinners, tax collectors, the people who most need Jesus coming to hear Him? It doesn't often happen, but this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. How do the Pharisees respond? Are they excited with them? They say, this is great, this is wonderful. Are they joyous? No, they grumbled. You can almost see the scowls on their faces and their lips all poked out and mad. But why? This is a good thing. Well, see, Jesus was fellowshipping with the wrong people. He was receiving sinners. And in His day, no holy man is going to hang out with people like that. No no holy man is going to fellowship with sinners. The rabbis in His day said that one must not associate with an ungodly man. And now these sinners, they're not just any sinners, they're open violators of God's law. The tax collectors in particular, they're known traitors and thieves. Everyone knows what they did, how they made their money. So we're really thinking of the lowest of the low. And guess what? Everybody knows it. Any decent person's going to avoid them. They're pushed to the margins of society. And Jesus, not only did He talk to these sinners, okay, maybe that's okay, but He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. And let's be clear here, what is He doing? Yes, he's, he's coming to talk to them. He's not saying that what they're doing is correct. He's not participating and approving of their sin, but He's offering them hope. He's offering them salvation through faith and repentance. But He did fellowship with them because they were image bearers. And this is good news. Just to start off, this is good news because we're all sinners, aren't we? If Jesus didn't fellowship with sinners, we really wouldn't have any hope, would we? But we do have to wonder, how can He do that? right? How can God fellowship with the unrighteous? Well, we see here that the answer is faith and repentance. We'll flesh that out. But turning from sin and clinging to Jesus, that's the way which believers can enjoy God's presence. And in order that, so that sinners would repent, Jesus went where? He had to go to who? He had to go to the sinners. And that was His mission, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now to show His heart for the lost and the callousness that was built up in the Pharisees' hearts, Jesus told them three parables which all go together. One about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and finally, one of the lost son. Now when the shepherd, he had a hundred sheep, he lost one, what did he do? Well, he went out into the far country, the open country, and he sought it until he found it. And he laid it on his shoulders and brought it back home. It's a beautiful picture. You, know, you can think of it if you found your sheep and it wasn't where it's supposed to be, you just you know, kick it and whip it till it gets back. No, he takes it on his shoulders and brings it safe and sound. Now, what happened when the lost sheep was found? Verse 6 says, And when he came home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. 
Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So they celebrated. They rejoiced. There is joy in heaven when even one sinner repents. There's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents than in 99 who need no repentance. There's a really good reason for that. There are not 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. They think they don't need to repent, right? But the Pharisees say that they're poor shepherds. They're supposed to be religious leaders in Israel. They don't seek the lost sheep. They're not urging sinners to repent. But the good shepherd, Jesus, saves his sheep and in rejoices. And the Pharisees, they too, they should have rejoiced when the lost sheep of Israel came back to the fold. But instead they scowled. And when the woman found her one lost coin of ten, how did she respond? Verse 9, And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. She rejoiced, just as there is rejoicing in heaven. So both of these two parts of the parable, or two parables, however you want to say it, are very clear. There is rejoicing in heaven. When a sinner repents. And if it pleases God when sinners repent, then everyone, the Pharisees and us included, should have the same attitude. What pleases God ought to please us. That brings us to our main text, the parable of the prodigal son. Or we could easily say lost son. We could also easily say gracious, loving father. But you have a hundred sheep, one is lost. You have ten coins, one is lost. Now you have two sons, one is lost. There's a strengthening here. Look at me at verse 11 again. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So right off the bat, we're introduced to two sons, and the younger son shows us as somebody we wouldn't want to hang out with. He's just a bad dude. And not only that, he demands his inheritance to be given to him. This is something that's very out of the ordinary in his day. By taking his inheritance... He's essentially saying to his dad, you are dead to me. The only thing that matters is your money. So why don't you just go ahead and give it to me? I don't have time to wait around for you to die. I want my money and I'm going to leave. And while that kind of hurts us, it's still hard for us to really comprehend the shame that that might have given him. They very much were honor and shame society. So the Pharisees, you know, they hear this. They're just in shock. They're gritting their teeth at this guy, ready to throw stones. We have to think, you know, this, this son, he lacked for nothing in his father's house. But whatever it was, the things of the world, we don't exactly know it drew him away. He said, I'm tired of serving my father. I want to live large. You know, in study, it kind of reminds me of Adam. You know, God put him in the garden. He gave him everything that he needed. And be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Everything. There's one thing, Adam, I've given you everything I need. Put you in this garden. Don't eat from the fruit of that tree. The day you do thereof, you'll surely die. And what does Adam do? He has everything he needs. He's paradise. Well, you know, maybe, maybe God's keeping something from me. He doubted God's goodness, God's provision, both Adam and Eve in eating from that tree. Well, back to our father. We don't exactly know why. He didn't have to comply, but he did. And as the younger brother, he's going to receive about a third, or exactly a third, of his father's estate, and that's what he got. You have to think as well for this father. Not only is it shameful, but I mean, it had to break his heart. 
From what we can see about this father we'll learn on, he's, he's someone who raised his children in the Word. You know, He taught them, he raised them up in the way they should go, and they're going a whole other way. He's seeing his son walking away with a third of what he has, just headed towards sin and depravity. That's to break his heart. Of course, it gets worse. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So it only took a few days. He had converted his inheritance, which was you know, the estate, into cash, and he headed to the hills. He went to a far country to get away from his father and his family, not just emotionally, but even physically. You know, Jonah did something similar. When he was running from God, not only did he deny God, but he said, I'm going to go get on a boat and go to Tarshish. I'm going to get as far away as I can. I'm going to run away. And once he made it to this distant land, did he start up this respectable business? Did he have some good investments, this big plan for his inheritance? Of course not. He lived it up. You know, he made a beeline down to Bourbon Street. First thing he's going to do. You know, this is the life I always wanted. This is it. So he thought. And in the process, he squandered all of his money. And a few things in life earned cheap or by pride and greed are going to last very long. I'd say no things, right? We call this son the prodigal son. That's a good name for him, really. Prodigal means spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Or we could say it this way, wastefully extravagant. And that's exactly what he was. Now, I'm sure, you've got, you got to think, he was popular for a time, right? And what he's spending on? He's going to have the best clothes, the best parties, the best food, the best wine, all these things. He, he's got it all. But see, it all comes crashing down when the money was gone. And then, of course, a famine comes into the land. Now he's in an even more dire state. He's at the lowest of low. He has no money, no family anywhere close. So what does he do? He hires himself out to a Gentile. And even worse than that, this Gentile master made him feed pigs. Now this is about as low as of a low it could get as a Jew. To hire himself out to a Gentile and now to be tending to the swine. This shows that Probably two things. He didn't care much about holiness, but he also, even for that guy, was really, really desperate. And of course, again, the Pharisees, they're just, they can't believe it at this point. You know? Now, for me, even as somebody who really loves pork chops and bacon, I can't imagine wanting to eat anything that a pig eats. You know, I've seen that. That's not good. But that's how low he was, right? These pods are the seed casings of a tree. They give them to cattle, pigs. Sometimes they'd force the poor to eat them. But even that started to sound good. But he couldn't get any. He wanted it. He couldn't even get that. You know, this isn't the life he pictured. Of course, sin takes you further than you think it is, right? That's always the way it works. You know, here's sin. I'm going to put it in this box. I can, I can control it. It's just this little sin here. I'm just going to do this thing. And what does it do? It just starts to burn down the whole house. The box catches on fire. Everything catches on fire. That's the way that sin works. It spreads like wildfire. Verse 16 says that no one gave him anything. 
I imagine he had some, you know, friends or people hanging around with him when he first got there, but they left pretty quickly when the money dried up. There was no one there for him. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So it took extreme hunger and poverty, but this young man, he came to himself. We might say he came to his senses. And God does that as well. He'll allow us to go through all sorts of things, to go our way till we get to the end of our rope so that we can see our need for Him. I can personally attest to that. You know, I tried to run from God for a season. It didn't work. It didn't work. I lost. But the son, he's humiliated. He's hungry. Now he's homesick. He comes to his senses, which is really another way of saying he repented. You know, sinners don't think rightly, do they? Or or us in the sinful mindset don't think rightly. And he wasn't seeing clearly at all because his reason was blinded by a sinful appetite. And and we see that throughout Scripture. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't even think one good thought. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can change our heart. But when he finally comes to his senses, what does he do? He remembers his father. He said, hey, he said, you know how well his father treated his servants. He said, they were never hungry. They had bread. I'm here. I just want to eat seed casings. I can't even have that. So he kind of concocts a plan. So, okay, I've got an idea. I know my father is never going to take me back as a son. After what I've done, there's really no hope for me. I've completely disgraced him. I've cast him off. But maybe I could be one of his servants. I mean, he's such a nice guy. Maybe he may, just maybe it will work. So he made this journey and and he prepared this speech of repentance. You know, it's worth a shot. Now, I know when I was a child, my mom can attest, I would practice my speeches before I spilled the beans, you know. If I had done something bad, I had to make sure it sounded as good as it possibly could, you know, before I get there. See, the reason I did it is because my sister was throwing stuff and she was calling my names and it really was her fault. I just, it was self-defense basically, right? whatever I had done. But unlike me as a child, I do think this man is repentant. I was just trying to get out of trouble. It never worked, by the way. I don't think one time, you know, in your mind, it's like, I can make this work. No. So he actually confesses his particular sins. And he even acknowledged that he disgraced not only his father, but God, right? Well, how had he done that? He had broken the fifth commandment. He had severely dishonored his father. And ultimately, he had sinned against the God and creator of this universe. He also acknowledges that he's no longer worthy to be called his son. In other words, he says, a father like you deserves better than a son like me. He really does. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned. Against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began 
to celebrate. So he made it to the family plantation farm. He was still a long way off. And his father saw him. You know, he instantly knew it was his son. You have to imagine that this father was looking regularly for his son, waiting, hoping, praying. Of course, as a good father, he knows his son. Now, his son, he just he knew when he came to him, right? He's going to be mad and disappointed. Even if he lets me be a servant, he's not going to be happy with me. He doesn't want me to be here. Probably expected him. He said, well, what are you doing here? You've taken a third of my money. Are you here to take the rest? What more do I have to do for you? But that's not what happened at all. And as you likely know and have heard, it was undignified at that day for an older, wealthy man to run. Which, you know, I often think when I read that or hear that, I would love that excuse, you know. Say, do you want to go for a run? No, it's really undignified for me to run, but I would like... If you ever see me down running somewhere, just join in and run. Something bad has happened on the other side. But his father, you know, he, he throws off all of the cultural norms. You know, he saw his son. He doesn't care. He runs to meet him. He didn't care who saw him. He had compassion. He embraced him or he fell on his neck and he kissed him. He just couldn't believe it. His son was back. Now his son, he can't, even, he can't even make it through his prepared speech. He's halfway through the thing when his father says, hurry, somebody go get the robe, get the ring, kill the calf. You know, you don't have time for any of that. We're celebrating. We're throwing a party. And he put the best robe on him. That signifies distinction. Put the ring on his finger, which signified authority. You can look at Genesis 41 and see Pharaoh do something similar with Joseph. The shoes, he would shoes on his feet. Why? Because he's a free man. He's not a servant. He's not a slave. He's wears shoes. He's a son. And they killed the fattened calf, which is what was reserved for special occasions. That was my house. It'd be, we were buying filet mignon and tomahawk ribeyes, you know, something like that. And they were to celebrate. And thanksgiving to God, you know, not the gross self-indulgence that he had been participating in. Celebrating and thanksgiving to God. His son is back. You know what grace this father shows to his repentant son? You know, sometimes we, we just think, you know, have I really exhausted the grace of God? Have I really just, I've just done it one too many times this time. I've gone too far. I've, I've done too much. We see texts like this and we see, no, we, we don't have to fear that we'll be accepted. For if we turn and repent and embrace Jesus, because our God is gracious. Our, our God is more gracious than the Father in this story. And He is willing to receive even the greatest of sinners who turn to Him. Such grace is available in Christ. Look again to verse 24. He says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The son was dead or presumed to be dead or was dead to the family in a way, but is now alive. Which, of course, again, what happened to him is repentance and returning. It's a picture and a way of salvation, which is, of course, spiritual death to spiritual life. Ephesians 2, 4-5, through 5, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So the conversion of a sinner is very much the, the resurrection from the dead. And how? If this amazing thing has happened. God has worked in a person's life. They've turned from their sin into Jesus. How can we not help but to celebrate what God has done? 
Some of you may have a hard time identifying with the prodigal son because you know, your earthly father, he wouldn't treat you like that. Maybe he's a good guy, but you could easily exhaust your father's grace. You always got the punishment that you deserved. Perhaps you don't even know your father. Sometimes that makes it difficult to understand, but what we can see so clearly is that none of that is like with our Heavenly Father. A.W. Tozer said this, God's love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, sealess shore. Now, your sin is not greater than the blood of Jesus. Our Father's patience for His children doesn't run out. And Jesus paid our sins, died in our place, which means there's no sin too great to overcome that. Our sin is not greater than the blood of our Savior. If we come to Him in faith and repentance. You do think as well when you we come to a text like this, you know, there is hope for wayward children. You know, if you think of it like the father, you say, Well, I really raised my child the way I thought they were supposed to go. I wasn't perfect, and right now they're really not in the faith. We know that God can save and change their hearts. So pray for them. Pray for your family members, your friends. There's no person too far that God cannot save. Keep pointing them to Jesus. How did the older brother respond? It's really the main point that Jesus is getting at. Verse 25, Now his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. So he's out in the fields. He hears music going on. He knows something is up. He asks a servant, servant's probably excited. I'm the guy that gets to tell him. You know, his brother's back. Look what's happened. Your father's received him. And when he hears it, it's, it's the worst news ever. He's just writhing with anger. He says, I'm not going in there. So you know, he sits outside and has a pity party. But his father, again, kind and gracious, more so than either one of them deserve, came out to speak to him. Notice that the older brother, he's angry because he thought he had done all the right things yet didn't get those gifts that should have been coming to him. You know, where was his party? He's got the calf. I don't even get a goat. Where was his thanks? The language here is kind of like this. I've been serving you like a slave for all these years. And I never disobeyed not even one of your commands. Of course, none of that's true, is it? He's a beloved son. He's not a lowly servant. But he also surely had made mistakes. He wasn't perfect. Even if he didn't run out like his brother, he wasn't perfect. He needed grace. See, he didn't see his own sinfulness. One reason is because he compared himself to his brother. He said, well, I'm doing better than him, which we often can do. I'm doing better than that person. I'm doing better than my brother who's off. I must be pretty good. It's not the way that it works. How are we compared to Christ, to God? Even how he talks about his brother is pretty self-righteous. Referred to him as we say, he said, This son of yours, not this brother of mine, this son of yours. He thinks position 
is based on performance, which in the Christian life is not it. Right? We receive our identity as Christians. We receive it. We don't achieve it. He was like the Pharisee in the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Both went up to pray. Pharisee says, God, thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. Tax collector, be merciful to me, a sinner. And who goes down justified? Tax collector. The truth is that this brother was even further from his father than his younger brother. Without ever taking a step from home, right? His sins of attitude had separated him from his father. He was so far from his father's heart and his father's love, he didn't share any of that. Charles Spurgeon said that the brother was like some Christians that he knew in his day, in his congregation, that had always lived a relatively clean life, but had little sympathy for those who were once great sinners. He said they seemed not to want to see such people as these brought to the Savior. Why, they exclaim. There are girls from the street and men that have been burglars and all sorts of rabble being brought into the church. I've heard such remarks and I have seen the same sort of spirit displayed in the looks of others who have not liked to see what they thought. I understand what that look is. Yet they themselves were no better than others by nature. Though grace has done much in restraining them from the sin into which others have fallen, and it was wrong for them to talk as if they were sheer legalists, as this Pharisaic elder brother did. Essentially saying this, they were recipients of grace. Some of the grace that they received was restraining grace, that God had preserved them from working out their depravity and going into all those other sins. But because they didn't want to show it to any others, they said, well, I must be better than them in some ways. I don't want to show grace to others. Sure, I can have it, but they don't deserve it. Verse 31, we see the father responds. 31 and 32, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and was found. The older brother, he felt betrayed, but all the father owned was was already his. In some ways that was true. All that was left was his, but even there he's always in his love and his presence. He would give him anything that he asked for. And his father explained that he had to rejoice. It was necessary. They must rejoice because his brother was alive. They found his brother. And it's a wonderful, joyous thing when sinners repent. There is celebration in heaven. It it brings joy to our Lord. And if it brings joy to our Lord, it should bring joy to our hearts as well. The message to the Pharisees in this parable, Jesus is pretty clear. I think He's telling the Pharisees that they too should rejoice when sinners repent. The scowls aren't doing anything good. They should rejoice. The tax collectors and sinners, those were their lost brothers. But they couldn't rejoice in their repentance. They were Pharisees, Pharisaical in thinking. They're essentially saying, you know, they haven't been burdened by the law like us. Now, we can't just, we can't just let them in here. What do you think they'll do? They haven't done what I've done. It's just not, it's just not fair. Jesus' message to the Pharisees in some ways, though, can be a lesson to us all. And I think it is. Very clearly, we should rejoice when sinners repent. 
how can we complain? How can we look down on any repentant sinner when we have received so much? I mean, we're, we're Calvinists, right? We believe it's, surely, it's only by the grace of God that we're saved. We have no room to boast. How could we be better than anyone? But sometimes you see Christians. Well, thank God I'm not like that guy. And there's a sense in which we say, if not the grace of God, go I. So we do praise God that He prevents us to work out depravity. But our hearts should say, that could very well be me. Let me receivingly, lovingly bring them in. It's easy to fall into the same trap as the Pharisees. They don't look like me. They haven't spent the time following Jesus like I have. They're not as sanctified as I am. That person over there, they're just getting what they deserve. But you know, it's in those moments that we aren't seeing our need for the grace of the Father. Because if we're really honest, if we really all got what we deserve, if that was the world we lived in, we'd all be eating those pods with the pigs. But for those who come to faith, Christ clothes them in the robes of His righteousness. How beautiful is that? Well, have you ever noticed how this parable ends? It kind of stops, doesn't it? How does a brother respond? Will he go and celebrate with his brother? Will he say, you know what, you're right, I'm going to go in and sing and dance and be happy? Or is he just going to sit out there in his self-righteousness? We don't know, do we? Which is deliberate. It's supposed to make us reflect. It was supposed to make the Pharisees reflect, but also us. So how will the Pharisees respond? Jesus is inviting him right there to join in the celebration, to repent and believe the good news. They must repent of their legalism and admit that they need grace, like the younger brother. I'm just as bad as he is. I need that grace if they're ever going to be clothed in God's finest attire. How will we as a church respond? Will we be the church of the older brother or the loving and gracious father? Which is, how do we receive people and others who come to us? Even those from rough backgrounds who did all sorts of different things. How are we to receive them? One thing that stuck out in my mind this week when studying this text is this. What if the older brother was the first person that the prodigal son encountered? Not his father. If he was standing there and it was his brother that met him, he said, what, what are you doing here? Get out. We don't want you. We don't need somebody like you over here. He may have done that very thing. He may have never made it to his father. Now let us be a church willing to receive repentant sinners. I think this is so clear. The heart of God is so clear on this. Anyone who is preventing people from His grace is at odds with His heart. So when you talk to someone here at church, or you know what, really anywhere, you never know what God may be doing in that person's life, what He may be doing through you. You may be the person that God uses to share the gospel to them, and that changes everything. You may be the person that God uses to call that prodigal son home. And finally, we have to think, how will we respond? How will you respond? Search your own heart for pride, for for envy. There's no room for boasting. It's all of Jesus. And put it to death. We are saved by grace and grace alone. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. If you've been resisting, maybe for a season, maybe for years... Call is clear. Come to Jesus. You haven't gone too far. Your sin is not too great. If you believe you will be received just as this father received 
the repentant son. I will say, if he can save a sinner like me, he can save you. God lavishly pours out his grace on the undeserving, even on us prodigal sons. Let's pray. If you'd like to check out additional recordings or videos by Dr. Toby Holt, please visit our website at fpcgulfport.org. And if you're on the Gulf Coast, come join us at 10 a.m. Sundays at First Presbyterian Church of Gulfport, Mississippi.